This is Tony Atkins from the Digital Cowboys Podcast, and you're listening to Big Red Potion. Gamers Network and Gamernode, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that doesn't take no moo metal from no one. My name is Sinan Kura, I am your modern host, and from the big red pool of regulars that I like to call the deep end, I'm joined by Portland hero, Jeffrey Malef. Hey Jeff. Hi Sinan. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, I just got a 3DS, and I realize I'm in a podcast with everyone here has been my editor at one point or another. So, yeah, it's kind of intimidating. I feel like I'm walking into an intervention about my crippling comma addiction. <laughs> I think you've got to, got to already try a bit harder, Jeff, to be honest. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, before I introduce the, uh, the other editors that uh, Jeff was alluding to, um, I wanted to just let you know about this, this extra special edition of Big Red Potion because we do have an exclusive for you in this show it is a world exclusive in fact it is a galaxy exclusive uh before i introduce the guest then ladies and gentlemen it gives me great pride to introduce the world exclusive debut of the supana galaxy radio trailer supana galaxy is quite simply the most epic game you'll ever play so galaxy was one of the definitely one of the most difficult games i've worked on but uh also one of the most rewarding the coolest feature that would definitely have to be our cinematic immersive experience. Okay, so when I was creating the Suparna soundtrack, I was thinking about the epic scope, and the emotional depth of the story and the characters. You know, Kirk was talking the other day about the idea that all of us, you know, as a team, will be remembered as having been so hardcore committed that it made people feel a little uneasy. And that really tickles my fancy. It's like a combination of the best movie, concert, poetry slam, handcrafted oak furniture you'll ever see, hear, and sit on. So as one of two women on a very small team, I think it's really important that I make this about gender. And then I thought about uh, the setting, and I thought, okay, uh, we're in space. Uh, and where do you go when you want music for being in space? Yeah. Uh, David Bowie. Even though I came late to the team and I'm only like a, I'm only an intern, I still feel like a, like a really valuable part of the team. Like my contribution is making a, a valuable difference to Superna Galaxy. It's really going to be like nothing you've ever experienced. Hey, c- can we talk about the alien sex for this? Your soup is so unique. Oh, that came out wrong. I mean, it's delicious. I think it's activated every single one of my taste nubs. There's some kind of ritual vocalizations you're supposed to do during the ceremony. I don't know. So they basically, I had to spend two weeks eating soup and like gurgling like a toddler. The gloves of the known unknowns, the gloves of the unknown unknowns, and the gloves of the unknown... Un- I, f- I forget which one. You know, Lee is a really loving person. She'll... <laughs> She'll give you these little shoulder squeezes when you do really good work. You want to watch what's on screen? You want to have that moment when you realize this is just as cool as the movies, but it's not. But she's also leading the charge. I mean, she is this blazing Amazon, and... 
the purifying fire of her passion is avenging us all. Uh, last weekend, a bunch of us from the studio LARPed the fed of sensorial rebirth at one of our producer's house. We got pretty into it, but I guess it ended up being really messy and his wife was super pissed. How do I make this appeal to a younger audience, you know, that, that key demographic that's going to drive sales? And, uh, and so obviously we uh, went with Bieber. Basically I poured out my creativity and, and drew on my deep interest and love for sci-fi and, and great stories in general. To, to write the backstory for those items. So I don't know if every satire or parody or whatever you'd call it is bettered by some element of sincere, genuine tribute. But I think it takes on a special charm when it does. It's been an incredible honor to work with people like Lee and Kirk, uh, Sarah and John. It's, it's, yeah, it's just been amazing. It's been a real privilege. You know, I ended up learning a lot about soup and about myself. Welcome to Suparna Galaxy. 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 And now on to my very special guests. I'm joined by the executive producer of Suparna Galaxy, Kirk Hamilton. Hello, Kirk. Hey there, what's happening? Fantastic. And also by the creative director of the game, uh, a familiar voice to Big Red Potion listeners, it is Lee Alexander. Hi, everybody. Hello. Uh, so, wow, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us and, you know, giving us the exclusive on your, on your new game. That's absolutely our pleasure. We're really excited to um, start sharing our work with, with the fans. We've already built up a very strong community, so um, we thought the time was right to uh, do a reveal. Oh well, you know, I think that it's a really it's really nice to give some of our fans a nice a, a look into the creative process behind making this game. Um, it was we had a really good time interviewing the people who worked on it. So um, we're you know we're really really happy to share that with our fans. And as you know, we we both have a background in games journalism, and uh, part of our mandate when we were doing that kind of work um, was educating people about you know sort of the design philosophies and the creative ideas that that drive today's great AAA games and. Uh, you know, so now that we're in the role of developers ourselves, um, we really want to continue doing our best to help the media uh, offer people that look inside of our world. You know, we really want people to understand that uh, it's, it's not, no game is the work of one person. And these companies, we're not these monolithic entities, you know, we're, we're a group of individuals. So we, we really wanted to get the voices of the people who made it to be heard and to, to get their names out there. Yeah, we're definitely a we and not an I. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. So, um, you know, I think most of our listeners will probably have heard of uh, Supana Galaxy, but some of them might not have. So, I, and I, I understand this is a you know a game that encompasses a lot of things. It's a, it's a diverse, uh, wide-ranging game. But, but, Liam Kirk, how would you uh, define the game in, in in a few words for some of our some of our listeners? Well, we wanted to offer a truly immersive. RPG experience of epic scale. As creative director, when I sat down with the teams, we, we thought scale, epic, immersive. And, you know, we, we thought about it, and it was, it was really, what makes an RPG epic? You know, is it the gameplay? Is it the characters? No. You know, more than anything else, it's the backstory. We want backstory that's detailed to the cuisine level. We want backstory that is just totally laid out for our fans and for the people who play the game. 
Yeah, we want a world that people can really believe in, and we also want them to actualize um, their identity as the protagonist through their um, relationships, often um, of the mature variety, with other characters within the galactic universe that we've created for them. Wow, that, that sounds incredibly uh, immersive. Mm-hmm. You know, it is very immersive, that. yeah. Yes, immersion, wow. immersion is what we're going for here. Yep. Okay. Realism. And realism. And, and this, the idea of a sort of cuisine level of, uh, of actualization... I mean, what, could you go maybe a bit more into that? How, how, did, how did the team go about realizing that? Well, from the well, beginning, um, oh, do, Kirk, would you like to start? Oh, no, I was, I was actually going to say, Lee, I think you can take this one. You're, you're kind yeah. of our resident soup expert. Yes, absolutely. Um, so when I, when I was tasked with um, sort of generating a concept um, for us to root this world in, um, you know, we had, we, first of all, we wanted to give the players collectibles and um, we, we thought that artisanal bowls would really, um, would have a compelling shape and, uh, and a, compar- a compelling aura. And um, we also thought that there was a lot of, a lot of symbolism in soup um, in that it's, you know, it's palatable, it's nurturing, it can also be very filling. And, um, that was sort of the, this, the sensation that we wanted to give our players, you know, something smooth and hot and, 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 and sustaining. And um, so, yeah, we, we, I, I founded this idea of, of, a, of an ancient ritual based around the artisanal soup that's native to this planet. And, and everything else just sort of spiraled out from there. It's an it's a unusual focus for a, for a video game soup. I, don't, I can't really recall many games which have had soup as such a... Well, I'm going to argue with you there. You know, it's not really the focus. Um, oh, I we see. Are, Sorry. Yes, yeah. We're, we're, we've got a massive fabric here. And, and the soup is really, it's, it's just the, uh, the adherent that binds the universe together. But it's actually, you know, if I was going, if you were going to ask me, like, what's the focus of this game? I wanted to go out on a limb and do something really, really original. And, and so this is a game about a journey. Um, it's a game about um, intimacy. Um, it's a game about um, the fashions of their time. And um, yes, soup, soup is just part of the, the fabric that we're all crafting here together. Yeah. And in many ways, you know, it's, it's, it seems kind of like the, the soup is, the, the fans of the game have come behind the soup. It's become a little bit emblematic of the game itself. Our, yeah, everything uh, our, needs a strong mascot, and, and the soup bowl has become that for us. People are really attached to it. It is, and there's an intimacy to soup. You know, our our game designer, um, one of our one of our programmers, Nels Anderson, used the the metaphor of, you know, everything that happens in this game is like a spoonful of awesome. You know, you get a new party member, and bam, it's a spoonful for you. You know, you, you pick a new tertiary profession, and bam, spoonful. And I, I like yeah. that. You know, it's like you're getting fed a spoonful of awesome. And, uh, yes, you're being I really spoon that, fed that that this universe well. that we've made. Yeah, yeah, it's we true. wanted and to we give do it to you spoon feed it too. Yes, that's yes. definitely true. And, and, um, and, and chowders as you go on. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Yeah, um, yeah. That's actually we're, we haven't announced that yet, but um, that's certainly something that we're thinking about. Um, and also, you know, Kirk was right that that it's an intimate dish. Um, Generally, um, in the universe of Suparna Galaxy, it's a dish that's shared that people might sip from the same bowl. Um, and, then, uh, and then later on down the line, you know, again, there's some story details that we don't really want to disclose yet. But um, it becomes something of a double-edged sword, which is, is something you don't really expect from a soft substance. So you know, we really wanted to surprise and delight the players with that. Well, also, soup's very universal. I mean, any culture you go to, we have soup. If you had picked you know, a burrito or something, that might have... I should point out that there has been some t- I don't know whether you guys have there have been some leaked things about burritos but we're we're not actually commenting on any of the burrito related things right now so anyway to your point yes soup is is definitely a very a very universal cuisine right universal that, yeah 
I, I was sorry, I was just going to say, and it's something that, um, you know, I think it's coming back into fashion. It's resonating with the, with the young demographic. Exactly. Soup, yeah. Exactly. Okay. You understand. You know, you go around cities these days and you see soup kitchens everywhere. I know at GDC, Lee and I went and got lunch. We grabbed some soup at a soup we kitchen. Uh, yes. There was, there was soup all around. Um, it really does seem to be the uh, hot lunch item, you know, for urban Americans. It's really bonded us together as a team. You know, we all enjoy eating soup together. So um, we, we, you know, we kind of wanted to bring some of our companionship as, as a close-knit team into the dev process. That's excellent. So uh, sort of entertaining and, and healthy at the same time. Exactly. Which is, think, yes, yes, precisely. You got it. I think you could, you could almost say the same thing of Superna Galaxy. Yeah. Do you ever think of spelling it with an O? So no, absolutely super- not. No, absolutely not. Um, the name of the universe is actually um, a very important religious callback that I would encourage everybody to look up. Um, no, and every time somebody makes that joke, I just, you know, it's, it's just such a tacky joke. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't, we, um, we, we'd like to strike that one from the record, if you don't mind. Must try harder, Jeff. Um, so, uh, you know, apart from apart from soup, uh, which obviously is a is a is a huge important part of the, of, of the game. I mean, what are the other sort of inspirations for uh, Supana Galaxy? Well, um, so we we've got this culture here. We've got the main planet um, where our main character was born. Um, we have our mining ecosystem that is essential to both the crafting aspect of the game and, and the story aspect. Um, you know, you have, you have your mysterious foreign cultural body in the Astragarians, which is sort of a, a universal ruling class, and then you have your Winkies who form the service class. Um, gosh, um, we have, we, you know, the, the key idea that we work with is, is the star metal, which is sort of like, um, you know, we thought about, like, what if we begin with a holy object? And what if that holy object was actually destructive to the people who worshipped it. I mean, to, to me, that's an idea that never gets explored in media. Um, like, you know, what if what if faith is a bad thing and, and what if belief can be harmful? Um, I mean, I, I guess it's, you know, you've already seen in some of the, the information that's come out. Um, it turns out that there's actually um, a lot more to star metal than being, you know, this widely available and, and venerated resource is actually quite sparse and, and uh, may or may not be associated with some, with some illnesses. Well, you know, I, I think that social relevance is definitely something that we're going for. Um, not Absolutely. very many, not very many video games are going for social relevance. You know, the followers of the muted ascot. I think they're a really good parable. You know, for over celebration, they um, they were the the ascots that you know they the muted ascots lived a life of practicality, and so I think there there's the ascotti, a, um, yes, the ascotti, you know, the ascotti, right? There was a uh, there was a lesson there. Um, and also the, the knowledge and wisdom wardrobe, I think, is a bit of a commentary on the Iraq war. So we're, we're really trying to work some, some sort of some relevant social topics into the game as well, you know, in addition to creating an immersive, wide-reaching, epic role-playing game experience. And primarily what it was about, and this is something we don't see many devs focus on these days, is choice. You know, there's, there's a lot made of, of, of concepts of player choice and agency, but we really wanted, you know, in the context of this very believable world... Um, to give players choices, like true, true choices that, you know, aren't just, you know, what kind of plate lingerie are you going to be wearing or, or, or what kind of equipment are you going to carry when you go to the Astrogarian mine, but more like, you know, who do you want to be intimate with? You know, who is the most attractive character in the game and how, how close can you get to them? You know, what do you say to them and, and how does that affect the context of your intimate relationships with them? Um, you know, we want to give you the, you know, lifelike experience of a diplomatic meeting and then the choice to elect not to attend. Um, to us, that was really, really powerful. I wanted to touch on one thing there, but what, what I'd say to, to listeners who, um, to the few listeners who haven't heard of the game, um, you, you mentioned the, the wiki there. 
um, or at least uh, you know the information that that's out there. Yes. And maybe we could we could we could uh, sort of alert our, our listeners to to go look at the wiki whilst they're whilst they're listening, so they can follow some of this uh, some some of this information as as they go along. Well, you know, the, the, wiki is, the wiki is a really important resource. It uh, it both kind of documents the game itself, and it's um it's edited you know by we we have a lot of our team overseeing the editing of the wiki. But, yeah, um, we have a massive community process um, underway, and and the wiki really is is part of that. Oh, it's central. It's it's central to the game itself, really. I mean, how how else are we going to document all the all the backstory and all the details of this world? And it also, you know, it's it it gives some really great insight into the production process and into the development process of the game, which I think is also very useful for fans of the game. Right. Um. So the the URL for for the listeners who who um would like to check out our work, it's Suparna Galaxy S U P A R N A Galaxy dot Wikispaces dot com, and um we encourage everyone to really browse um a lot of the processes unfolding there right before your eyes. Um, we wanted to really provide that experience of transparency that is lacking from so many um you know, triple A role playing games today. You know, you don't know, you know, where people are getting their ideas or what they are, and and we really think that that players are entitled to be as exposed to the dev process as possible so that they can discuss it in, in forums and, and, and talk about what they think of our process. That's, that's going to be really crucial to us. It's a really interesting marketing technique to unveil the lore before the game. Yeah, I, I've yeah, never seen yeah. anyone do that before. Is that to, to bring the community into it more? You've well, got you know, it, it's, precisely. it's really helped for, for building a dialogue with our fans. It, it hasn't been without a couple of speed bumps. I mean, for example, there was a there was a Dreamgate catastrophe. I'm sure you guys know about that. Where happened on you know, our forums? Yeah, it was it was a it was it was a pretty big fiasco. We unveiled the Dream Weavers and the Dream Spinners, but then it became clear that the Dream Weavers were, you know, they were they were kind of a better class, and so everyone who had used the character creator to build their character beforehand got really upset about it. So you know, we had to kind of really work with the with the uh, community there. They were threatening a boycott. You know, some people filed with the Better Business Bureau. It was a really, it was a big issue. Yeah, we so. we actually we, we don't want to comment on that um, too extensively today. Um, we've we've given our statements to to the uh, enthusiast press quite extensively, and uh, fortunately, it was resolved. But um, what what Kirk means to point out is that um, you know, being connected to the community early on was always very important to us. So we wanted to start getting our fans into the world and loving the world, and and really beginning to relate to our our, our hero um, as at the earliest possible juncture. And you know, um, Superna Galaxy is nothing without the fans of Superna mm-hmm. Galaxy. Yeah, it's they're almost like a, they're they're individual stars in our sky, or, or little grains of spice in our soup, if you like. Yes, I, I prefer the the latter, actually. Yeah. Okay, we can go with that. Okay. Um, one of the, but I wanted to kind of transpose that that interactive experience onto onto the show itself. So you know, in, in terms of. Uh, listeners following this the, the wiki whilst, whilst they listen and one of the things uh, you guys mentioned that there was the, the plate lingerie uh, yes. which I think is you know there's a there's a screenshot if you go to the to the wiki uh, on the plate lingerie mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think it's a it's an interesting evolution of a, of a sort of concept we've seen in other games did you did you guys want to go into that a bit more Absolutely, yes. Um, the plate lingerie was actually really crucial early on in the development um, process because not only did we want to find um, a way to really, ex- you know, to really exploit and to leverage the star metal concept, um, but you know, there's so many you know absurd outfits that you see in games today, and that they're purposeless and they don't represent anything except to sort of show off our characters or to make them sexual objects. Which you know, even though intimacy branches are a very important part of our choice system, that was not the kind of game that we were going for. It was something that you would just you know skip right to the you know 
naughty bits. You know, we, we take our players a lot more seriously than that. Um, so the plate lingerie was, was symbolic of our intention to, to give our, give our players something meaningful to wear. Um, and so if you, if you, you know, if you look at the wiki, you'll see that the, that the lingerie was conceived by an elite class, um, early on, you know, prior to the, to the start of the story where the players introduced to it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it was pretty omnipresent for a while. And, um, basically conflict over star metal led to conflict over the, over the uniform. And, um, that really, I think, helps encapsulate some of the kind of themes of class warfare that we're working with here. And, and you know, there'll be some events in the game where you're, you're exposed to some of the controversy that happened around the plate laundry. But, you know, never did, we, never did we want to offer the player a meaningless costume. I mean, there are probably, um, I guess, Kirk, is it 4,500 um, different accessories that players can collect and wear throughout the game? Um, That's, but again, that sounds right. Not, I think that's not taking into account the ones that are procedurally generated, but yeah, right, around 4,500. Yeah, 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 there's one. There's one portion where where the uh, the clothing is generated in the prison section. The clothing is gener- generated procedurally. But um, yeah, I'm, even though we've given players like some 4,500 decorative objects to use, and and most of them don't actually grant you any stat benefit, although quite a few do. Um, what we wanted to focus on was these higher themes of class warfare. I see. Do you think that that's something that other developers could could look towards? You know, the fact that you've really brought class into ideas. You know, around armored underwear. Yes, well, you know, yes, I think, we hope so. I, I think that it's worth noting that the um, the plate lingerie is, uh, you know, so many. There's a lot of discussion right now about outfits that, um, especially female characters, mm-hmm. wear in role playing games, and um, there is a lot of sex and intimacy in Suparna Galaxy. But the plate lingerie actually tends to move in the opposite direction. If you'll notice, if you check the wiki. Um, we're designing the plate lingerie to add um, to the chastity attribute that characters can have. And um, the plate lingerie generally is a, it, it increases this, the social standing and the sort of classiness of the class of the character. Right, exactly. And, and actually, Kirk raised, raised a really important point as regards um, issues of objectifying female characters. Men wear plate lingerie as well. And, um, you know, we're equal opportunity plate lingerie clothiers in this game, so... That's a, that's a step forward, I think. We tried for that. We were aiming for that specifically. Well, and also, you know, our our protagonist, um, MC Varglan, is a uh, you know could be played as male or female. Though um, yes. we're we're actually only using the female version of yeah. of in MC our promotional Varglan materials. In our promotional materials, so and she's been come to to known as they call her Rag. So she's known as Fem Rag yeah. by by our um by by, by the our community. Series. Yeah. yeah. And what kind of percentage of players um, players as, as Femrag? Um, I would say. Do you think it would be about like sixty six percent at this point? It's it's pretty high. Yeah, it's right around yeah. two thirds. It's right around two thirds. So I would say sixty six point six 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 percent. Yeah, and it's tempting to look at Zuparna Galaxy, which is you know very very rich and 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 you know. We've even developed entire new mathematical systems to support our calendar. Um, you know, we have a lot of really dense data that, you know, prior market research has said, you know, repels female players. Um, but, on, you know, on the contrary, I think the fact that the world's so rich has drawn more women in. And obviously, um, you know, we've applied a lot of uh, gender sensitivity to the intimate relationships as well. And, and having her as our public face has, has also helped us garner um, a better relationship with the female Western RPG player constituency. Well, and also, you know, the, um, the, we've had, you know, uh, Varaglan obviously can be both sexes, but, you know, there have been these spinoff games, Superna Tactics, for example, um, starred uh, Agapatis uh, Reyes, and he is a, a male character only, but I think he's got a kind of dashing 
daring do sort of thing going that uh, seems to really appeal to our female fans as well. And right, and we don't show too much of his skin, which I think that people like. Oh no, I think they appreciate that too. I want to talk about how in Zapata Galaxy you can't have a homosexual relationship because it's not in keeping with the universe. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. It's just not possible. Yeah, it's pretty much that simple. Uh, I see. Do you think that that could create some problems down the line at all for the game in terms well, of its reception of the community? Um, it's not consistent with the rules of the universe. You know, um, it just, you know, if, if we're providing players this enormously rich world where everybody's, you know, behavior and their orientation is supported by a very lifelike backstory, we do expect people to understand that, that they just can't be gay. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we spent a long time sort of writing the rules of this and the rules sort of say that there can't be any homosexual sex or love in this universe. So it, it is what it is. We can't change it. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantasy, um, but it's also really supported by reality that says that, you know, it's just not possible for two men to be doing that. I see. Yeah. That's, that's, that's hard hitting. And I think um, it's saying something, although I'm, I'm, I've, I have to be honest, I'm not, I'm not sure what. We do offer the Rhinocene option um, where they're actually sexless and, um, you know, they, don't, they wouldn't be one gender or the other. So in that case, that's pretty much as good as being gay, we think. Yeah, I'd say that, 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 that tracks. Well, that kind of changes everything, actually. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. fair enough. No, we, yeah. Want, we always wanted the player to have an exotic option or like, an uncon- like a, a weird option to replace being gay. It is really important to offer a weird option. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> right. Um, um, anyhow, okay. Anyhow, uh, right. Uh, compose myself. Um, one of the, the to, to put that to one side, then I mean, even though there's no there's no homosexual love in the game, although there is there is the weird the weird lovers we've um, discussed. Right. I mean, right. they, 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 the, the trailer mentioned alien sex there, and you know there was that erotic soundbite from the game. Exactly, um, yeah. Is, is sex going to be a, a huge part of this game? Um, I, I, I really would hazard to put it as, as sex being a huge part of the game. Um, there are 24 different um, possible sexual options, though obviously if you, if you um, capitalize on some, you may alienate others. Um, and uh, probably I would say you have the opportunity for an intimate encounter every... Um, about like 1.5 hours of gameplay, I guess. Um, but again, I would hesitate to say that it's sex playing an important role. It's that we're trying to offer players a rich world, strong characters, opportunity for discernible choice, and the opportunity to really become this person and express themselves on the world as this person. So it's not about sex. It's about um, realism and intimacy and immersion. When you, and you know, you're, you're really only going to wind up with certain partners in the game if you follow a certain path that goes, you know, Frat Lorenz, for example, is a really, a really good example of the brocrat. Yeah, he's mainly only romanceable if you follow the gentle path because he's a gentle kind of bro, and right. and if you if you follow that path, you know it makes sense that your character would wind up with frat, and and so you know it it, it informs the world, it informs the story, and it informs your character and his or her place in it. Probably her her place in it. And then we also find that um, 
that it it helps encourage players to explore the world now because you know for example prisoner g um is only available if you're observant to collecting all the bagnal cakes in the world which are um sort of a, a biscuit type dish that that goes along with the soup um so this particular person um you know is only accessible if you've been for example during the elevator sequence you have to you know be very observant to the elevator in order to collect the cake at the appropriate time and if you miss right, it you know you right. won't, you won't be able to couple with that individual and then there's another um you know one of the dream coopers um actually is is allergic to it so um you know that could ruin your chances so Mm -hmm. um yeah so again like we're encouraging players to think about bagnall cakes we're not encouraging them to have sex in the trailer you mentioned that you're that you're working with david bowie on the score and i'm wondering did he have any impact on the design of the game or was he just very hands-off well i i can actually speak to that you know um that's a that's john peter grant there talking he's our soundtrack coordinator and lead composer He um he wrote, you know, most most of the music for the soundtrack for Suparna Galaxy. Um he's really talking about his influences there. Um we're not working with David Bowie um, you know, uh directly. He has definitely expressed interest in the world. Um I think he you know, he's been very interested in fantasy worlds for a long time and he thinks yep. that Suparna Galaxy has a lot going for it. But um, uh, JP Grant is really bringing in a whole lot of different influences. We'll actually have a, a dev diary from him online pretty soon where he talks yeah. about all the other influences he's bringing to bear. You know, a lot of film composers, um, some, young, some young hot pop stars. And, and then, of course, if you're going to make music that has got to be in space, you know, who do you turn to? Uh, you turn to David Bowie. Yes, exactly. And, and the character of, of, of Ferent is, is pretty heavily modeled on him. I think our influence there is obvious. We have, we have a, a, a pop star um, in the world that was sort of based on him. And, well, and he's, um, also, he's also kind of got a Goblin King thing going on. Absolutely, yes, exactly. That was sort of the aesthetic that we were striving for. So David Bowie, um, his influence is very pervasive. And, and the other musician that was uh, mentioned was, um, was Justin Bieber, who, um, you know, I, 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 is, is uh, sort of the Western RPG uh, sphere something Bieber's been interested in getting into too? Oh, he's actually a huge nerd. Actually, he's been great. He's been talking to us a lot, and, and he's sort of really very yeah, much been on our team. Really, really um, nice guy. Nice guy. Yeah, good kid. The, um, the, the genderless Rhinesian character model was actually, was actually based on him. So, um, he, yeah, yeah, it's sort, so of a, you, sort of a subtle little joke. Like, he'll get it. I don't know if anybody else will, but there's some stuff in there that he'll think is probably pretty funny. Yeah, there are Maybe a lot of nods. Some of his aides could, could tell him, could explain it to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of nods to the J-Beebs in, in the work. Right. Um, actually, before let, let's let's um, have a bit of uh, of uh, JP's work if we can, um, and uh, let's play the main theme from Superna Galaxy. Okay, so here it is. This is JP Grant's theme from Superna Galaxy. So that was um, that was JP Grant's uh, theme from Superman Galaxy. Um, love it. Yeah, I love it. It, it, takes, I, it raises the hair. Like I'm, I'm gonna. I know that that when we do our symphony tour, um, there's gonna be a strong response to that particular theme. It's very iconic. Is it is it at all similar to? I don't know because I, I just get this this sense, this feeling that it reminds me of another game, and I, I'm not sure what what game I'm thinking of. But I, I'm not sure what game you can possibly be thinking of either. Yeah, I, I mean, think that it's it's pretty singular. Musically speaking, I've never heard anything quite like it. 
No, I know. Um, and, and, you know, it's true that developers do sort of influence, influence one another. So it's possible that something in the past may have, you know, suggested him, you know, the, the, the game music community is very close knit, but absolutely it's, it's an original theme and resembles nothing else out there, just like Superman Galaxy. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, I think that settles that. Um, so, so obviously you guys have created a, a, a lot of lore for this game. I mean, just have to look at, at the wiki and uh, the stuff like the, the the, the laws, the actual mathematical laws that have been created. Um, so that must you must have obviously looked towards what other games are doing with their with their law. And um, you know, um, we just had a, a no, a, um, no, okay. Right. <laughs> Wait, what, what, game could, what game could you possibly be thinking of that influences? I don't know. <laughs> Something keeps pervading my thought process. And oh, I, why don't you just come out and say it? Because I feel like you're accusing us of, of like, like we're joking here or something. Yeah, it's okay, almost like I'm, you don't take us seriously. What's what's going on with that? No, I, I, I do. And I'm really excited to have you guys you know, talk about the game. But it reminds me a little of... Um, Final Fantasy VII. I'll say it. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> well, we're, we, we are, we're big, big fans of FF7. And, this um, is true. But, the uh, genderless see, thing. Right, right, right. There's no, no. The, excuse me. The genders in, in FF7 I mean, are very the, well. The oh, sorry, I apologize. No, actually, wait. No, I have a lot of things to say about Final Fantasy VII, but in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just like read these letters that we have been writing and publishing. That's true. You could also read oh, those. And you really should. How did those impact Suparna Galaxy? Oh, they are <laughs> impacting Superna Galaxy right now, my friend. They were they were a very in in a world where Superna Galaxy and its conventions have swallowed our lives whole. Um, it's been really refreshing for us to go back to sort of an old school kind of RPG and and remember what we actually enjoyed about these games. Yeah, because right. fun was not really a consideration for us in Superna Galaxy. Um, we, we don't we don't really want people to have a good time. We want them to. <laughs> We want them. We want them. To so, okay, okay, hang on, hang on. We should actually clarify here for people who are listening to this that, um, in fact, Lee and I are actually writing. We're, I'm actually playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time, and we're writing yeah, letters about true. the game. That's actually happening. Uh, Super well, Galaxy. It, we can maybe step out of for a second here. <laughs> wait, are you are you really? saying it's not okay. real? Kurt? I've been, no, no, no. Superna Galaxy is 100% real. It is the real. It's one of the more real things in my life right now, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether that says more about Superna Galaxy or about my life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, like, I'll, I'll be out at night and I'll get mails from Kirk about Superna Galaxy, or like, I'll, I'll be out and I'll come home and there'll be like a whole bunch of Superna Galaxy hashtags. By the way, you should follow the Superna Galaxy hashtag if you're interested in watching our process unfold. Also, or- you can also follow us on Facebook, and we will probably have a Twitter account by the time we're done recording. Yeah, we do this. have a community page on Facebook that you can join. Um, but yeah, no, they'll, I'll just I now feel bummed that I missed out on the conversations because like I was out like having a life, and then like I'll come home and like I'll miss like all the Superna Galaxy. And I know I see it's true for everyone. Like if they happen to not be there because they're doing something, they like have genuine regret and anguish over missing the developer discussion. <laughs> well, you know, so part of that comes from how Superna Galaxy was born, which maybe we could talk about a little bit. Please do. It, it was born on Twitter, in fact. Yeah, it was a very like flash in a pan, immediate thing, and I'm guessing there's a link to it actually. Um, Dennis Farr, who is our, well, I, I'm calling him our lead writer and character designer. Yes, he's that's one of him. the con- one of the contributors to Superna Galaxy. He actually chronicled it on his blog, so you can read the entire Twitter exchange. Uh, that started this entire thing. Basically, Lee started writing about Superna Galaxy. I asked to hear more. Um, yeah. our, one of our, our, our voice actor and dialogue coordinator, uh, Sarah Elmale, got in there and, and uh, got involved. And soon, John Peter Grant and then Dennis was in there. Um, Ted Dinola, 
Dan Bruno, a bunch of other people, Nels, and and then later on Ben Abraham, all kind of yeah. got in, and everybody was in there. But really, our it was a thing that. Ben. Yeah, our intern. He's our he's our lead our lead story intern. <laughs> 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 he, he makes it very clear when someone calls him an intern to point out that he's a lead intern. <laughs> yeah, on the story side. It was very much a thing, though, that like happened in about a half an hour. And if you weren't in, like, on it, it was you just had no idea what was even going on. It was I know, and so I think there's so many people who still don't have any idea what's going on. Like, oh, right. basically, um, I saw that a lot of my friends were playing a, a game. Um, and I, again, I don't want to comment too much on what game because um, you know, Sinan is implying that we're imitating it, someone. Uh, it rhymes. It rhymes with crass defect. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I just personally have never uh, been drawn into that world. And so I, I tossed out an offhanded comment that was my version of what was happening there. And um, people responded with their own versions. And I began to elaborate a bit, um, just doing my best to sort of satirize the tone of that particular title a bit. And uh, we started a wiki to start gathering all our lore. And, uh, you know, we're, we were basically we we were doing our best to to recreate the level of pointless detail and, and the weird contrast between, you know, this like stayed boring galaxy universe and, and Are you this, calling like, talk this, pointless? What? No, 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 no. I mean, uh, we, we're an alternative to that. Like we actually, we're actually trying to create some meaning here. Um, no. <laughs> 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 she says and breaks into laughter. Um, no, no, Patak is very Laughter is meaningful. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're all <laughs> together around this, and and it's in, we're investing in it. And it's real to us, and and we're very immersed. Um, well, it's yeah, funny, no, you know. It, it really speaks to the kind of how when you get a whole bunch of people involved in something, it can become it can take on a life of its own and become very real. People even so, I, there's this book that I actually haven't read that uh, Matthew Burns talked about in Paste. Uh, this Borges book called Tlan Ukbar Orbis Tertius. Do you guys know this book at all? Mm-mm. No, I don't. So it's a it's a story about Darius Kazumi talked about. It. He said it's more like Tlan Ukbar Superna Galaxy. Basically, this book is about a group of intellectuals who create a universe, and they create they write a um in some some obscure edition of Encyclopedia Britannica. They like start to write encyclopedia entries about the universe that they're making, yeah. and then like this eccentric billionaire gets behind them and more people start contributing and they start to make stuff from the world and eventually like Tlon is the name of the world or Tlon I don't know how it's pronounced it becomes yeah. real and then like through the energy of everyone who's making it actually takes over the world and it becomes reality and the world becomes a footnote in the reality yeah. of Tlon so that will probably kind of, kind of happen that'll that probably happen yeah, yeah I bet that'll probably happen with Supernic Galaxy um, you want to know so, the, the the most hilarious and the most ironic thing about it has been for me is as, as Kirk said I was just like I was being a brat on Twitter and insulting other people's tastes and now we're having people like actually crafting music tracks and we have recordings by a professional voice actress and like this whole thing is springing up off of some half baked idea that I like happen to have not even seriously and <laughs> which I'm like, when you wow, think about it it's now like I know such how it perfect... feels to be a game designer. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's such a, it's such a perfect like it's such a perfect parallel to how so many games are made or how they feel like they're made. You know, let's pick the absolute most you know safe, totally cliched thing 
and 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 make it and then a a team of people come together and they actually make it good and then you sort of sit there thinking how the hell did this become good i mean not that we think it's like actually good but it's it's certainly detailed oh it's pretty good (laughs) it's not good but but it's certainly detailed and this world springs up i'm like oh i guess game design is actually not that hard um and then and then like i've shown we've shown it around to a lot of our friends in the development community and like my friends have said to me like it's scary how much like a real narrative design doc this looks um and like we sat down with with matt burns at gdc and like had like a fake design meeting where he was playing like the publisher and like i wish we had taped it because it was so funny because we actually pitched him on the game and he gave us his feedback about how we needed to make it more social and worth three screened and he just like totally deadpanned along with us and it was excellent well then the like, best thing is that in social networking like we're totally now we're integrated with with like ian bogost put us on cow clickers so there's like yeah. a super a Superna cow on you yeah, know one of the one of the <laughs> preeminent Facebook games. There's a Superna cow made of star metal. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, because you know he obviously you know he probably made Cow Clicker for a similar reason that we made Superna Galaxy. Oh, it's so very similar right. actually. And then Cow Clicker became like an actual social game that everybody plays. Sort of how Superna Galaxy became a thing that people seem to give a shit about for some. I'm just reason. waiting for someone to like actually start making it or to do character mockups and like to start making. Like to start actually designing the game, like that would be kind of funny. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> coming. Of, I think kind it's of on the way there. Aren't yeah, no, the, we're really the, getting the there. <laughs> you've got, it's not just like you know one track; it, it's seven tracks or something I, like that. It's like twelve and or something. It's twelve, my word. <laughs> um, and you know, like so you've got the professional voice actress, and this wiki keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and yep. people work, keep working on it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there is quite a strong base here. Uh, well, no, right, and it's growing. Like we're, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're hiring. You know, we, we have we pretty hiring. high stand- We have high standards, <laughs> but we're hiring. Well, I, we were discussing before the podcast how it's actually the second game ever to be taught in a college university. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Michael Abbott uh, mentioned the Brainy Gamer mentioned how at Wabash uh, College in Indiana, where he teaches, one of the professors was going to be talking about satire and using Super Mario Galaxy as an example. Yeah, and uh, the first game was was Portal Two, so oh sorry, it's just Portal. So it's Portal, Portal, then Superna Galaxy, which I think which, you know is, is a great uh, tangential tangential link. You know, it's, it's yeah, I think so perfect. too. I think those two games have they have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They could be twin brothers. But like, oh, the yeah, weird definitely. thing is, is like we're actually developing. Like, I have some kind of sense of this narrative, and like, I had to do that. What did I do? The list of like places that you could find souples, and like, you oh know, no, it's the no, it's the super, it's the card catalog. The oh super, yeah, the card catalog. Yeah, well, yeah, so yeah. that gets into Final Fantasy. That feels like a Final Fantasy VII list. That list that you made. It does. Yeah, that was. I guess I. I I can only draw from what I know when I primarily play Japanese. <laughs> um, so you know, but but you know that like you start at the you start at your home estate, you go to the mining camp, the saltivore swamps, and other people have actually added onto this list as as we've developed new. Locations. Right, there's the great long. I mean, the great long elevator is is definitely a whole huge section of the game. <laughs> exactly. There's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different. Which especially you know, if we're if we're making Mass Effect commentary here, the fact that there is like an eight or nine stage thing called the great long elevator, I think is 42 pretty appropriate. Floors and the shaft yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i mean that's, that's, all, that's the thing oh sorry that's no, also you where you have to pick up the, ba- the bognol cakes as well so like as you can see <laughs> we're getting a sense of like mission design on our way oh yeah right i mean that's that, that's the kind of thing that you know just looking at the wiki today in the really stupid idea of trying to make notes like you know, we were saying before the show clerk and i that we 
both tried to make some notes in preparation for the show, and that was not the most sensible idea in the world. I'll send you my it, notes. They're, they wound up pretty good, but it took a lot of focus. <laughs> my notes are not so good. <laughs> I had a difficult time trying to work out half the stuff that's been written. But I mean, at the same time, you know, I, I look at it, some of it, and I can see the tropes that it's alluding to, and I'm thinking, you know, it's it's not that far away from the real thing to be honest you know especially like you know some of the sort of um the stuff about the dlc and um <laughs> you know the the, the, the stuff there and it's something yeah the, the, and the fan arguments the on the forum over the class imbalance and exactly yeah and no it, right is that you know that you were, um, we were talking to before you mentioned that we, um, you were playing dragon age 2 and it's kind of well, what's funny, you know, so I've got this whole thing with Dragon Age 2. So I reviewed this game and I really, really, really didn't like it. And I liked Dragon Age 1 and I know, Lee, you really didn't. But, um, no. you know, it. there were things about it that I really liked. It had a kind of sense of humor about about itself. It had good writing. It kind of went into some interesting places uh, sort of philosophically. And, yeah, I mean, it's like this really, really nerdy, like, Dungeons & Dragons, Lord of the Rings ripoff RPG but it like created a world that I don't know I believed in, and then I played uh, Dragon Age two, and I and I I really really didn't like the game, and a lot of that was the game design, like the way it was put together. It just felt bad. It, it felt bad to play for me. It was claustrophobic and and fragmented. But also there was the the backstory was really messed up. Um, I you know there there was a this huge codex for Dragon Age one, really complicated backstory for this whole world that they've built. And what Bioware is kind of really good at, I think, is like building a lot of sort of strife into their worlds where, mm-hmm. you know, there's like racial conflict and there, you know, people have been kind of held down their entire lives and there are whole races that are, you know, marginalized. And I think that, that it creates really interesting conflicts like in the world. It's much more interesting than just this guy's a rogue and this guy's a mage and whatever. Let's fight. Um, and That's always Dragon been Age- like the strength of fantasy, I think, is that is that because it's not real and because it's giving you these fake races and these fake classes and, and it's not dealing with things that aren't even human, it it lets people tell you know stories about maybe some of the deeper social things that happened in the world. I know that sounds like I'm still super on a galaxy bullshitting, but I think it's true. No, but it's for real. And I mean, and Mass Effect does that too. The, what's, what's interesting is that in Dragon Age 2, there's this thing, man, and I don't know, if, if you guys have played this game, like the codex feels totally tacked on. And you, you you walk into these rooms and there will just be a book sitting in the middle of the room and you just go up and it's this massive ass like diary entry about whatever room you're in and it's all really bad. I mean it's like the choke damp clogs the walls of dark town. I mean it's really <laughs> it's like really it's really not good. Where you know initially we're talking about how like you know elves are like this slave society and there's all this political strife with the dwarves and it's actually like pretty interesting these families that have come up. And, um, you know, in a kind of like fantasy novel kind of way where it just in the sequel, it just the it really felt like a game that had great lore um, kind of blew it by by getting really specific and just boring with their lore. So I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting. Is I think it- that's a bit of a, a Bioware trait, actually, which I think they maybe sort of got a, got away from with with Mass Effect in the first Dragon Age. But if you play go back and play something like Neverwinter Nights or, um, or Baldur's Gate 2, it's the same thing. You go into a room and there's a random book and you read it and it's just gobbledygook about nothing that you could possibly you know, care about. I, I was talking to someone about where that comes from and I mean it, it definitely comes from these guys is that their background is in tabletop in like you know real role playing games and right. that it's like a whole other thing where you have to kind of create this backstory because you're giving people a template to work with like you you have to give them everything because maybe they'll write a whole giant saga that takes place in this one forest that no one's ever written about before you know it's like you're kind of giving a template to writers to write about 
Where in a video game, it's not really the same thing. Like, that's what's so exactly. cool about Like, Final Fantasy VII is so cool because it doesn't feel the need to constantly inform you about stuff. Right. The, re- the reason that Kirk and I are enjoying it so much, um, Final Fantasy VII, that is our, our replay that we've been discussing, which actually does make a lot of sense in, in the context of Superna Galaxy and what we were making a statement on and saying that we were sick of, is, um, you know, what, it, it's always been like sort of a trait against FF7 that it's just so, like, absurd and huge. Um, but they, there's actually a lot of space in between you know that that prompts you to to fill things in with your imagination like we're given like yeah no the characters are not well drawn but yet players drew them themselves and you know they feel like they know who cloud and tifa are and they write all this fan fiction and you know they like the, the characters take on an almost magical quality because there was stuff left for us to do um and the places feel realer because they're done in, in you know you can't interact with everything in in a room in 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 midgar but you know you can think, you know, it gives you visually something to work with and think about what it means rather than directly forcing you to interact with it and directly feeding you all the, spoon feeding you all the information on it. Um, <laughs> you know, like, right, well, I mean, the spoon feeding thing was purposeful, on, at least on my part, because, you know, we, I don't think that that serves games. Right. And is that something as well that, that speaks to Final Fantasy VII being, you know, less graphically, well, realized? I mean, you know, yes. it, it, yeah. Well, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely something we've both talked about in the letters is how. You know, that game has multiple levels of abstraction. You know, you sort of, in the world, your your characters are pretty goofy looking, you know? Like, Vincent is... Blocky is little sprites. To, you know, he's supposed to be right. this really cool vampire dude, and he looks like this little munchkin. But then, you know, and then in combat, they, they become more realized, and you realize that Eris isn't actually a 14-year-old girl, and that Cloud is actually kind of cool. And then, yeah. you know, you see, you see their faces on their character sheets, and then you actually get a sense of, like, what they look like. And, like, that kind of thing, like, you have to imagine it then when you're in the kind of lower level of detail. And it right. really does help. I mean, it's really interesting playing that game. For me, I've never played it before. And, and um, you know, having that, rather than, like, playing Dragon Age, which is so literal. I mean, it's just everything looks like a dude. And, like, you're kind of just <laughs> Everything looks dude. like a dude. <laughs> you know, really. And, like, you go and you talk to a dude and then you're all wearing the same armor. And it's, like, everyone's this guy. And, like... The dialogue is like good and like you know it's it's well performed, but just it you, I kind of go on this mid level conceptual autopilot while mm-hmm. I'm playing that game, just like well okay here we are in the swamp with the guys and the swords and and this it is asks how everything for your looks. belief, but it disengages your imagination by being exactly so exactly. Well, I'm still alluding to something uh, Kirk said in one of his letters about Final Fantasy VII, where there were a lot of uh, mini games and in areas that were really poorly constructed, but in a way that made him think that the designers were just having fun with it. Mm-hmm. I read it correctly. It's the part where you have to salute soldiers. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things like that. that. Yeah, no kidding. I, I just played the played snowboarding the game once, like, I once played the game like 15 years ago, and I have no recollection. So I'm only going off your letters, basically. Um, but it's funny because, Lee, you mentioned how Suparna, you know, it was originally just a joke, but do you feel like maybe designers now aren't um, just Absolutely. As many risks. They're not. They're not having fun making games. And that's no, they're completely that, uh, risk averse. They work in these massive teams with these massive budgets, where they have to keep the level of risk very low. I mean, I'm not criticizing. Like this is understandable. It's just the way that the business has evolved. And and I want to be really clear that I respect Bioware a whole lot. Like sci-fi and and, and high fantasy are just personally not my taste. Um, but I don't want to be saying that I don't think that they're good designers. Um, and that they're not doing the absolute best with what they've got. And and um, are examples of quality in the industry for the most part. Um. So so, you know, getting that out of, out of the way that I actually respect them quite a lot. Um, I think that, um, Jeff, exactly what you said is true, um, that no one has fun making games anymore. It's this massive 
I mean, I don't know any developers really who love their jobs right now. It's like. Uh, <clears throat> So, oh yeah, I mean, but he's, he's like the only yeah, one who was so happy yeah, about Nels likes uh, to Vita to Clay. Well, dude, I mean, you should you wait till you guys hear Nels's developer small. diary. I mean, this guy, like, <laughs> you know, this is a guy who, yeah, he still he's has time to. Things. When like, he, he takes time to things. actually write write the like you know fed of sensorial rebirth for Suparna Galaxy, like exactly. Yeah. He obviously is still having fun if he's able to like join us on this, which we you know we really appreciated that. Um, but you know, for the most part, it's become this sort of high-budget perfection factory um, where nothing can be left to chance, nothing can be left to the player's imagination, and we've got these really beautiful and well-made, vivid things that somehow are just, like, to me, like, completely hollow. And it's also it's so silly that they take themselves so seriously. Like, well, like, like Kirk know, said, when you're reading, like, this big Dragon Age 2 book about, like, blah, blah, this room, and, like, there's mold on the wall. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it, it, there's a... Obviously, they take themselves too seriously, which is part of what, why we're having fun with, with Suparna Galaxy. Like... <laughs> being over overly serious and overly literal and, and that's why whenever we do any kind of parody discussion of the game we have to be like super serious and humorless and um <laughs> you know it's funny that i mean and i've definitely noticed that um there are there is a move away from that like i mean i think that what what tim schaefer is doing with double fine is really cool yep. I, I think that by you know i've i got to talk to um tasha harris a lot about costume quest and i've gotten to know those guys some and i actually really i really didn't like stacking but I think that they are having fun making games, and they make their games quickly enough and in small enough teams. And they're all re- they're all really funny, like smart people. So like yes. their 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 games have like a sense of just we're we're fucking around here. And like you know, um, like stacking was a game that didn't quite work, but you still could sense that they were like they were having a laugh want, with you it. Still want to like, like it? Like you still yeah, want to like totally. it? You don't feel let down or that you wasted your money? Yeah, and it doesn't you- have that feeling of just like God. Here's a thing that's like totally designed to like appeal to the lowest common denominator and it's just like this really clean really well made you know shoot fest or whatever that like is going to sell a billion copies to a bunch of like 16 year old guys and then and then like if you look at like how excited people get about sweary and deadly premonition because it's just so bizarre and unexpected and kind of janky and people were actually like warmly received that because i think that they would rather have something you know weird and imperfect that has you know clear creative spirit to it or or a sense of fun than than you know the most perfect and and rich serious game in the world that's the thing i mean i I haven't played deadly premonition yet but i did play alan wake and i found I've, I've got to say, I found Alan Wake was trying too hard. Oh, oh so yes. you've got to you've got to play Deadly Premonition as a counterpoint it's, it's to Alan Wake. It's sitting on my shelf. Where yeah. it's like right the now. perfect counterpoint to Alan Wake because Alan Wake is like a perfect. Uh, it's like a perfect example of of what we're talking about. It's a game that yeah, is it like, really is. It's it, it's like really well made and it's beautiful looking and 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 effective and fun and it plays well. Gamma Sutra ran an you know? entire feature about its cloth physics. Like they they really yeah, well, and they're impressive. Like and the yeah. light, God, the light, the light. The lighting effects in that game are amazing, and but it's also like a joyless exercise of just hacky writing and weird sort of just characters that look like robots, and the whole thing is weird. And where Deadly Premonition is this game that's built on it looks like an Xbox game, like an original Xbox game. I, I you know, it's got huge gameplay problems, but because it like it builds this weird bond with the player, you know, to the protagonist, and it's designed in a certain way. And it's so bizarre, and it makes you want to talk about it with your friends and, and try to figure out what the hell is going on. It is, it's a way more engaging game. And like the people who love Deadly Premonition will be talking about that game in like 20 years, I swear. Mm-hmm. No one yeah, is going will. to talk about Alan Wake in 20 years. 
is anyone even still talking about it except to make it yeah, a right. note in what not to yeah. do? Like, no, I mean, no, that, that's we're only talking about again, it in like, respect to Deadly Premonition. <laughs> I liked that. I like that team too. They're super talented. They are, you know, again, like the game is really, it, it like well-made quote unquote, like well done, you know? And, 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 and there's some very impressive effects on display, and it's beautiful at times, but, you know, it's, it's joyless and, um, yeah, not good. <laughs> well, that's funny. You look back at Remedy's stuff, and, like, I look back at, like, Ma- like Max Payne. I loved – oh, my God, I love that game. I have a Max Payne mouse pad right here for, that I got nice. with that game when I first bought it. Like, nerd. I don't know, whenever that was. And, oh, yeah, total <laughs> nerd. It says, do not cross a man with nothing to lose. I still have it. Oh, that's and not like, nerdy. That's awesome. And, and it, you know, but that game is like that game takes the piss, man. Like there's like these sections in that game where he realizes he's in a video game, and and he's on drugs and stuff, and it gets all really weird and really meta. And they were they were they didn't care when they were making that game. Like, and it was also this you know great looking game with a really cool bullet time mechanic. But then yeah, you know, I think that. Oh, go, oh, go ahead, ahead. Sorry. No, no. Continue. Oh well, you know, I, I think that with uh, with Alan Wake, that they, you know, I can't, I can never speak to what what happened when someone was working on a game. I know they were working on it for a really long time, and yeah. there there must have been a point at which I think they were trying to do a whole lot with it and make it open world, and then eventually they kind of, you know, had to had to pare it down. And I'm and sure just that, all, you know, Microsoft put some heat on them too because it became part of their yeah. sort of story. Well, right, and it was a big thing there, and right, like I have no idea, but it did seem as though a lot of that sort of sense of fun, like like Final Fantasy VII, exactly, like there's this sense that it's almost like the game is having fun, like where yeah. where it's making me do this completely bizarre crap that that I would never right. have to do in say you know Final Fantasy thirteen, which Ugh. didn't have any of that, and like Ugh. so suddenly I'm having to, well, no, I know, fuck that game, and um, so like that, <laughs> you know, but I'm like having to do all these weird timing things that like don't work well, and like kind of quick time events but and there's never really a punishment for failing them so the whole thing is just kind of goofy and it i, I really like it a lot yeah and i think that like there, i think i just want to say that i think that we are seeing the industry backlash away from that over seriousness but what it's giving us is bullet storm and duke nukem which you know there's a lot of reasons why that's not what everybody wants you know what <laughs> and i mean it's funny um, it's funny how like a current industry trend could be giving us duke nukem forever <laughs> like yeah, it yeah. was supposed to come out like 75 years ago or whatever I know they're they're rejecting like you know they're saying you know well we can have high quality and still have fun but you know unfortunately like we're having fun by having like tons of gore and, and insulting humor which you know again would be fine like I have no problem with like being a little fun and insulting like I I don't really begrudge anyone their right to play those kind of titles and I don't think they're stupid or boring if they play them um, but you know I think that we're still seeing a dearth of stuff that is fun but is also diverse spiritually and isn't you know. You know, can we have fun in a way that doesn't involve like splattering heads or spanking people? Like, you know, right? And you know that part of that is like, you know, we've talked a lot about Western developers, and like that's like Japanese game development is something that I don't, Lee, I don't know as much about as you do. Um, But I can, I know that, you know, I know, I think both of our, my favorite game from last year was Bayonetta, and like that was a game that that game had a. That was like I. I mean, they were having fun when they made that game. There's no way someone wasn't having it was fun. So when they ridiculous made that game. and and so hyper stylized, and that's why I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I I I think you're onto something. I think that you know there was a, there's a lot that's effed about about Japan. You know, as it, as it has failed to appeal to Western audiences, it didn't keep up for a while technologically. Um, you know, and and 
there's all kinds of, you know, now that every developer who wants to be successful has to have a globalized process, there are a lot of cultural and language barriers that I think are holding back development there. But, you know, there was, there was a lot that needed to maybe be put aside, like, you know, and changed about the, the conventions that Japanese design had established for the industry, like from the mid 90s till the turn of the century. Um, but I think that we've lost a lot with the fall of Japan, like some of that, some of that weird whimsy and that weird spirit, you know? Yeah, no. Does anyone else here play Yakuza Four? Any of the Yakuza's? I didn't no, I yet, haven't. but 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 hey, Kirk, this will mean something new. Steve loves it. Like I have oh, a friend yeah. who's pretty, yeah, <laughs> I have a friend who's pretty hard to please, and he absolutely loves it. And everyone who everyone who I respect and whose taste that I look up to is is in love with 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 the Yakuza games. Um, yeah. um, because they like let you do ridiculous things, and they're still fun, and they're still re- they're still believable. Yeah, I mean, I, I just reviewed the fourth one. I, I didn't, I didn't love it, but I, I respect it a lot. It's like one of those games I really want to love, even though it is mechanically really dull in a lot of ways. It's, it's kind of like Deadly Premonition, but it's, um, it's really interesting though in that way because it's so backwards from a design point of view. Like a lot of it has more or less random encounters, and a lot of the mini games just really aren't fun. And there's a lot of tedium and running back and forth. Like there's a guy who. Um, one of the things you can collect is garbage, and then you have to run to a sewer to give it to a guy so you can you can cash him in his points. And you have basically all, so much money anyway that there's really no reason to ever do this. So there's, there's just a bunch of kind of tedious, boring stuff in it. But this kind of GTA game, syndrome, right? GTA syndrome. Um, yeah, that also explain why I don't like GTA. <laughs> I don't think but, that but anyone should. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying that it just has so much whimsy, but it's not a parody either because there's some parts that are really serious where um, – I mean, I can talk more about it uh, another place, but like it, it deals with some really controversial, daring subject matter, and especially you know during the cutscenes and, and the script. And then when it lets you play, it just goes completely off the rails, and it's just – it's super aware of its. Yeah, no more heroes is like that too. No, that's why oh, yeah, I really man. always totally. lo- loved no more heroes, and even even the second one. Um, I mean, loved very loves those games. Um, you know, because because they know what they're about and what they're not about. Um, you know, and I also think that there's sort of a syndrome, a cultural sheep thing that's going on. I I would never want anyone to positively review something that they found tedious, but I do think that most most people who are writing the game reviews today, um evaluate games in a really compartmentalized way and 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 you know we don't we're not good yet at talking about experience so you know i think that you know things that are getting the highest reviews are things that you know oh it has good graphics oh it has sensible game design oh it, it you know they obviously put a lot of work into this um you know so it's like the the games that are achieving the highest rankings and the ones that people are chasing are are not going to be the ones that are original they're going to be the things that are correct and and i think in that pursuit of correctness you know, I'm off. People always get on my back for advocating broken games, but I do think that the pursuit of correctness is 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 pretty destructive. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, a lot of the top sites still, you know, have that checklist underneath the score of graphics, story, uh, yeah. controls, and all that stuff. So, you know, definitely. I mean, I I, I was kind of interested in the fact that we we've kind of moved past um, role playing games now because yeah. you know, obviously, Super Mario Galaxy is all to do with Western RPGs, and um, but but you talked about um, Bulletstorm. And I've just recently played um, Homefront, which is not a good game. Yes, I've um, heard. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's trying to be Call of Duty, but with a much more offensive premise, right. which um, is not good. And I found myself just feeling like my intelligence was being 
demeaned throughout the whole thing <laughs> for, for four hours of that single player being told that North Korea could invade America in 15 years' time. Well, but you know, right, that I think, like, the story is supposed to be China. I mean, really, the story should yeah, be China. Yeah, that's should be China. Come on. Like, North Korea is going to... Anyway. But we that's, owe that's them, like, how much said. money? <laughs> oh, right. No, of course. We're not going to piss off China, but give me a break. That's, like, another problem, right? It's like, make the game about the thing that could actually happen if you want to freak us out. <laughs> like, right. The thing is, you know, I, I could have more of it, more accepted the game if it didn't have these um, sort of newspaper cuttings listed about it telling me how the sort of backstory of the game the history of how it got from um 2011 to, to 2027 mm-hmm. and all these sort of different news guys saying oh now the american ca- economy's collapsed it's like well if i didn't have all that stuff there i actually could maybe just try to accept that this is a shooter and i'm just shooting stuff but no you really want me to get into this world and i just can't and i i wonder if that's like you, what you guys are saying is that get developers are trying to justify the kind of crudeness of their games by adding in this kind of intelligent backstory where exactly. it, you know, it's funny, you know, it just you doesn't at, fit. You look at what Valve does. I mean, you know, you play Left 4 Dead or Half-Life 2. I mean, those they're like, they're the picture of restrained, like, design with, with the story of their worlds. You know, there's so much, people come up with so much, so many stories for their characters, especially of Left 4 Dead, because the first one had such great characters. And, um, you know, you get these little bits of information off of the wall, but there's never a part where you hear a news broadcast about what's going on in the rest of the world. Because Valve, like, they're, they're really professional in that regard. I mean, Valve, I think, is the greatest studio in America, hands down. Um, yeah. And they, first, they have, they, not only are they enormously talented, but they work in small teams, and they, they decide what their world is about, and, and I think that they, are, they know how to be so selective about what they're going to show the player. Um, you know, and so it feels real because, you know, they made something that they believed in, and then they just showed us. It's a show-and-not-tell thing. And it's like a play and not tell thing, you know? I mean, the story of Left 4 Dead isn't told even through the images you see. Like, that game tells itself in how you play it. Like, you right. you tell your own story through that game because it's so, so well made. And, like, and if the they way tried to layer played, all this text on top of it yeah, and all this <laughs> lore, it would have just been in the way. It, it just would be annoying. ridiculous. Yeah. And the, well, it's funny. And so you're playing, um, uh, you're playing Homefront, uh, Sinan. And I'm actually playing Crisis 2 right now, which is a really... I don't, know if, for me. I don't know if you're playing that game. So... And, you know, I mean, I'm kind of just playing through it. I don't know whether I'm going to review it or not. I, I might if I finish it. it um, right now I'm just sort of playing it. And it's interesting because it's a cool game. I mean, it's like it's got some well-designed stuff. And it's, it's like a little bit like the first one. And, you know, it has some, some cool uh, sort of open Im- immersion stuff going on. And they don't actually try to really like, I mean, it has a really whatever story is, the aliens or something. And you're in New York. But it, it, that game really tells its story through through what happens to you and through what you see, you know, and it does a good job of not overdoing it, even though I, I feel bad, like cutting the game slack because, you know, the acting is terrible and the, the writing, the voice, like barks of the enemy are terrible and all the, all the sort of exposition that plays is really bad. And so I, I don't really, I don't like to cut it slack just because they don't go too far and try to tell me too much, you know, but like, it, I'd almost rather there was nothing. Um, and they just they just left it and let me kind of hunt dudes in the city and that right. If you're going to be a dumb shooter, don't pretend to be that like all about something, you know. Right. Though that does right. bring up the the issue of like like Bulletstorm, you know, where you try to be like we're going to be the dumbest shooter ever. It's going to be awesome. And then like, did you really need to do that too? Either I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not. There has to be some kind either. of middle ground between joyfully embracing being ignorant and and being ridiculously heavy-handed and overwrought. I mean, there absolutely has to be a middle ground. Right. I, I, I think Bulletstorm definitely sort of treaded a bit 
close to not really being as self-aware as it as it. You sort no, of think, I mean, yeah, I played I had, the, the, too, the, so. the, the people who made that, that's what they think <laughs> yeah. is really awesome. Like they really exactly. like that. Well, you know, so really I got. I mean, I wrote a. <laughs> I, I wrote a column about that game that um, was really critical because I went to a review event here and played it. And I wrote a column, and you know, I didn't play the whole game. I played like the first, you know, part of the first act. I didn't really get that far in it, and I liked it. Like we played a lot of multiplayer, and the, it was fun. Like that, I mean, the the basic mechanics of the game are cool. But I was like, okay, well, this is a pretty normal first person shooter, and so I wrote about that. And yeah, no, I mean, the um the lead Adrian, the lead developer of that game, got in touch with me. I mean, he was on Twitter saying. You know, I was really, I was really hurt by the fact that you thought we were doing this just for for attention, and you know, this came from the heart. We really meant it, so they meant it. I mean, like, they, you know, and whatever, like the fact that they meant, you know, that there's like a gangbang like achievement in that game, and that that came from the heart. That like, came from the heart. <laughs> you know, sure, okay, whatever, dude. That, when you put it I, that way, yeah, like okay. I guess that <laughs> that was an expression of like your whatever tortured childhood I mean, or something. You know, and, <laughs> like, and I also, you know, I have sympathy for, for them, too, because they made a game that they thought would be fun to play, and they didn't care who they offended, and then all of a sudden there's an entire contingency of critical press demanding that they, you know, answer for it or justify it or that they should feel bad about it. And, you know, so in that case, when you're sort of put on the defensive, you know, what 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 can you do except for say, hey, we worked really hard on this, because they did. You can't make a good game without right. And, like, you it. can make something offensive if you want. Like, anything you make, has it has the right to exist. Like, you can't. You can't tell a game that it that it shouldn't exist. Like even if it, you know, it's not to your taste or you find it offensive. Right. This harkens back to what we were saying before about just making a game. This is kind of a big joke. Like it sounds like they, um, because they were really, they really did enjoy it. It was more, um, like they were just kind of having fun. You know, they were just screwing around and they didn't really take narrative or story or anything seriously, and and they just wanted to be funny. And like, and that's kind of going to we were playing. Um, excuse me. Like, isn't that similar to what you were saying about Final Fantasy VII? That they just wanted to make something that where the game's kind of just screwing with you a bit. It's a little, you know, it's interesting that I think that part of the reason, like with Bulletstorm, I don't know, I didn't really get the sense that they were just having fun. Like there was, it was still calculated. Like they were still trying to sell it, but there was a. There's a thing like okay, you've seen movies like what like Wet Hot American Summer. These like a movie that completely exists to just make fun of itself, and it and it's never serious, and it's almost this like like you can't tell whether the joke is on you sometimes for even watching it, and like we haven't gotten too many games that are like that. I think mainly because it's so hard to make a game. I mean, it's so hard to make a video game that works that people yeah. can't they can't just make a game that is completely satirical. They couldn't make... I mean, maybe we'll make Superna Galaxy. I'd love it if we made that game. Oh, and if we made it and it, was, and it had the spirit of like what it is now, you know, of this game that you still can't tell whether they're serious when the credits are rolling, you know? You've gotten yeah. all the achievements and you finished it and you're still not sure whether maybe the joke was on you this whole time. It would be and fun like, to just go like balls out satire, like Monty Python type, like, you know, just... just that where you're calling back to, you know, existing conventions every minute, but, you know, or, you know, to play it totally straight could be fun too. Well, right. And there are games like that, you know, like, like uh, death spank uh, was, was like that. And that was, that game killed me. Like I loved that game yeah. and um, super funny game. And, and it really, you know, it did a lot of that kind of just like poking fun at, at genre conventions and role playing games and like loot hoarding and Diablo and all that. But yeah. really like, even so like a game that like even is, like how Deadly Premonition is broken sometimes. I hesitate to use that word, but there are parts that you play of that game that feel almost broken. And you really can't, just can't figure out even whether they're kidding or like they just ran out of time or what. 
And I think that's still really rare. And as I hope anyways, I don't, you know, I don't know what will happen in the future, but I, I would hope that as development gets easier and it gets easier for a smaller team to make a game that, you know, isn't just a, a really simple, you know, indie game, but is actually like a, a full on, you know, 3D, whatever, Unreal-ish engine kind of thing. It'll 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 be more common to just see games of all stripes that kind of go outside of just making a game that works really well and will sell. Yeah. But to, to kind of to, 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 to kind of speak to that, and then maybe because we are getting a bit on on the times, maybe try and close. But you know, Lee, you mentioned um, No More Heroes earlier, yeah. which is I think we've, we've talked about it on the show before. Um, and I really didn't get on with the game. Really? Um, if, yeah. Even though I knew that I knew what it was about, I'd, I'd heard everyone on Twitter telling me. That this is this game does what you were saying with conventions and um, but I, I just it was getting is that sort of feeling that yes I understand what you're saying but it's still not very fun for me to play what you're what you're saying I have oh to, I thought it I was to... fun I love, it's my favorite <laughs> it's my favorite use of the Wii controls there's this one level that like it's 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 completely um, reversed on its axis on its axis so like if you want to play it correctly you kind of have to hang backwards off the couch because um, it's upside, it's completely upside down like I just thought like moments like that were so much fun that I'm just like hanging off my couch flailing the Wii around but <laughs> but it, it was it's, for me it was stuff like oh so I have to go do the side quest before I can get onto the main mission mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah and it's like that every that's every time that I'm, I understand exactly what it's saying but at the same time it, you know. And this is my kind of my, my question: Is it inherent to games that if you're trying to poke at conventions and you're you're putting a convention in your own game, it, is it hard to satirize because ultimately you're still making the player work through this difficult convention? It's it's a, it's a different thing to say a movie or or a book where it's just this right. instant recognition of a convention. Right, you're still making like you could say like I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a button time event here to make fun of how everyone hates button time events, and yet you're still making them do something they hate. Um, I yeah. guess yeah, I, I mean to me like again I, I found I, I found the side quests you know to be a bit tedious, but they were so much fun for me to play that I didn't mind doing them, and I also felt this like. I felt this sense of physical advancement throughout the game that made it really satisfying for me. Um, but I guess it's like, it still has to be, you know, it still has to be enjoyable at the end of the day. The design still has to be good. Um, I just, I think that, I mean, pretty much that, that's our bottom line with, with this is that our, in our pursuit of correction, um, in our pursuit of, you know, high quality, correct games, we've really just forgotten how to make them fun. Right, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, I I think that yeah, you're you're definitely onto something there. Where like satire in games can be a real drag when you're playing a game that is doing something terrible, and you know the fact that it's making fun of it almost makes it worse. That you know it's it's gotten you to do something terrible that you hate doing, and then it's saying, "Ha ha, look, I'm making you do something terrible." <laughs> but but you know the the and a game there is a challenge with games. Like a game has to work, right? Like it has to kind of fundamentally be okay to play but then and there i mean there are people who hate deadly premonition like you know so i, I haven't played on uh, no more heroes i know that joe was on the podcast today we'll see right like there are definitely people who are like man i just i cannot do this this game is is just so jacked up mechanically and it feels horrible to play and i hate it and um and that's i think that kind of speaks to that same thing i was saying earlier where if you can make a game where it's okay that some people don't like it like right. where it can just be a little thing that like doesn't need to it doesn't need to be a blockbuster it doesn't need to sell however many freaking millions of units that like the Call of Duty sells. Right, everyone and, wants the Call of Duty money. Games cost so much to make that you know. Right. So far, like, we haven't gotten the budget equation right to where we can make a game that it's okay if if fifty percent of the audience hates it. So yeah, if you can sit down with your friends in a garage for six, you know, not even six months, like for four months, and make a game. 
you, you'll probably wind up with some really awesome shit. And then there'll be people who like it and there'll be people who are like, nah, 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 I can't get with that. And then they'll go play Call of Duty or whatever. And, um, and that's kind of cool. And there's also a really important thing, I think, with camp where when you, it can't punish you. It can't punish the player. Something about the camp in Final Fantasy VII or the camp, that's maybe that's the wrong term. The, the side quests, the weird kind of janky stuff that I'm really oh, yeah, liking, yeah, yeah. it never punishes me. Like, I'm never... You know, if you if you don't cross, if the wind is blowing across this thing that you have to time it with the wind, you know, if you do it wrong and the wind hits you, it just kind of knocks you back and then you try again. Like, it isn't this thing where you're kind of, you die or, you know, you lose experience points or something. And I think that's really maybe the most important thing is if you're going to build something that's weird or, you know, kind of pushing that line into a game. Just you let just it can't, exist and be what it is. Yeah, and don't let it be it part doesn't of your need progression to, curve. It, exactly. It doesn't need to like affect how the player, like the actual game or like have them die or right, you know, affect the progression of the character. Like just, it can be fun and then it's kind of there. And then it's just something that maybe people wonder why it's there, but they'll never get too bent out of shape about it. And, and hopefully, you know, that's what we're going to see in Superna Galaxy when it does. Um, Hits oh yeah, absolutely. Source. Most of those features are already are already under development. So that's awesome. When 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 do you guys think we will we will see Savannah Galaxy? Well, <laughs> you know, and and what platforms and what price? Well, one of the interesting things about <laughs> one of the interesting things about Superna Galaxy is that it sort of exists at um at sort of all points in time in its development. <laughs> <laughs> so it, we've already played it. Exactly. Um, we're kind of this podcast was kind of a post mortem, but it was also a preview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a pre mortem. Four o'clock in the morning. I've yes, exactly. Lost my a, mind. Yeah, no, I think hopefully everyone will feel that way if they've made it this far. <laughs> I I think on that note. Um, we should probably bring it to a close um, so Kirk and Lee thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, oh, I really thanks enjoyed for it. having us yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed it too thanks so much I had a blast you guys thanks for having me and thanks thank you too Jeff as well for... oh yeah I'll say that again thank you Jeff <laughs> <laughs> you, you, were, you improved as the show went along um... <laughs> I couldn't get any worse for that Sup- Suparna joke Oh yeah, man, that was that was a major that was faux pas. Worst. That was a major misstep. <laughs> yeah, no, we we had to take ourselves very seriously about that. We, we're, we're not fucking no, around true. here making a serious no, game true. here. Yes. Okay. Um, but what, when you guys aren't, aren't working on Super Galaxy, you guys are, are working elsewhere, and I'd, I'd love um, to get you guys to pimp, pimp your stuff if you would. So, um, Lee, you you do a hundred billion things. Uh, I'm Lee Alexander. I do trade reporting at Gamma Sutra. I um. I do a monthly column at Kotaku. My blog is Sexy Video Game Land. And uh, you're right, I do a number of other things. I'm currently the section editor for Nylon's Men's Magazine. I, uh, I write twice a week at this site called Thought Catalog, doing um, you know social media and new media culture writing. And uh, yeah, probably more stuff than I should. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and uh, out of all those things, I just really recommend the, the full catalog stuff because it's, it's kind of different stuff from what you, you do and elsewhere and I've, I've the, the Sonic the Hedgehog thing is just one of my favourite pieces of writing this year so thank you no way you like that yeah thank you. I really really enjoyed it it was, oh, it was really you. funny uh, yeah no it's fun to sometimes it's fun to write for a different audience it's, it's keeping me on my toes awesome um, and Kirk you also do too many things so can you tell us some of them <laughs> <laughs> I do do too many things 
Um, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm uh, Kirk Hamilton. I'm the I'm the games editor at Taste Magazine. So that's my main video game gig these days. Um, I also blog at KirkHamilton.com. Uh, I'm a musician out in San Francisco, so I do a lot of musical projects. I'm working on a whole bunch of cool stuff that I'll be talking about at some point in time in the future. And uh, so I teach and play jazz and do that whole thing as well. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, I guess. Awesome. And, and like Jeff said, uh, you guys do need to check out the, the Final Fantasy VII letters between you guys. Yeah, I definitely do so. They're cool. And ongoing. I'm, I'm like, just finished disc one. So. Yeah, we're, wow. this is going to be a, a quite a long series. Probably people will be sick of it by the end. No, they won't be sick of it. We, we've, we've actually, actually, I want to take the opportunity to thank everyone who's written to us or tweeted at us and said that it makes them want to play the game again because we would really like everyone to be having some of these revelations that we're having about, you know, what we used to love about games. No, to be honest, that's been really, really cool for me too. Just, I don't take on very many hundred hour games these days. I don't have time and it's been awesome. I mean, it's Lee, it's been awesome to, to write with you about it as well, but and to get everybody else, you know, who's been on Twitter and sort of just chatting with us about the game has been really, really fun. So that's been, it's been great for me. I've been having a blast. Yeah, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you guys are only up to disc one, so people can, can sort of get, catch up quickly and well, I'm in. done, but you know, oh, right, I, yeah. I, well, okay. actually I'm at the end of the game, but I'm not going to beat it till first. Right, I got I got some catching up to do. But you know, if you yeah, if you've got like thirty eight hours to kill <laughs> beating disc one, you know, go ahead and catch up. Excellent, um, Jeff. You do too many things as well. Everyone does too many things. Tell us what you do. Um, I'm a freelance writer, so I've been writing stuff for Kirk uh, at Paste actually. Yeah, that's right. You've been doing good stuff. Uh, thank you, sir. Um, I also write a column at Games I Watch, and then it gets posted on Sutra. Sometimes it's really it's it. Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes sometimes it's someone else. (laughs) And uh, also, um, right before I uh, write, I recently did a Bionic Commando retrospective at Eurogamer and a Bionic Commando 2 review at Kill Screen. So it's in a very good Bionic mood lately. Um, But yeah, those, you can find me in all those places. I really enjoyed your Bionic Commando retrospective as well. and it first, that's the first thing in two years that maybe want to play the game again. So well done to you on that. Um, uh, me, very quickly. Actually, no, screw me. Let's just talk about the podcast. Um, <laughs> you can find us at BigRedPotion.com. Uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, if you search for Big Red Potion, we're on Twitter, twitter.com slash BigRedPotion. And we are on iTunes if you search for Big Red Potion. And we will have a near podcast in the next few days, which is now a month and a half delayed. So... Um, tried to avoid how it sounds like it's in February and how we talk about stuff that we were going to do in March um, apart from that we'll have another XBLA show and then gosh knows it'll be summer um, and we'll all be out enjoying the sun uh, so uh, that is it we'll talk to you when we see you next time bye for now bye